You're listening to Historically Speaking with Alex and Andrew. I'm Alex. And I'm Andrew, funnily enough. Um, and so we're talking... This week we're talking about convict history. Indeed. It's a very major part of the sort of early colonial Australian history. Yeah. Um, we've taken a major step away from our normal Melbourneian focus. Indeed. Um, which is good. We're just, not going to mention the word Melbourne this entire episode. I think we might. I'm going to try not to. But yeah, we are, we're going to look at sort of the, the, different, uh, the different aspects of convict life, firstly how it happened, yeah. how it came about, and also just the day-to-day life. Talk some about interesting some interesting figures. figures. Mm. Um, you know, there's all kinds of stuff that went on. You know, that's what you get when you have like, you know, a bunch of people arrive at a country. Hundreds of people simultaneously arriving in the same place that yeah. none of them have ever been. Yeah, none of them have ever been there. And they're like, all right, we're living here. What could possibly go wrong? Australia crawl, Australian crawl. Of course it is. Um, which is actually the name, the the name that a lot of swimmers swim as freestyle. Really, Australian crawl. Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, it's it's one of those names where like everyone just calls it freestyle, but yeah. freestyle actually does mean you can use whatever stroke you want. Exactly. So you so, can technically, so a lot of them do the Australian crawl. They're trying to tap into that lucrative swimming market. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure it was first done by like surf lifesavers. Yeah. Uh. Um, there you go. Because you can't lift your head up into a surf. No. So, so it keeps which you is at like the same, same level yeah. on the surface. There's a bit of totally relevant Australian history. So We're talking convicts. about convict history. And so early convict history was actually a bit of an odd one. Mm. A lot of people, when they think convicts, tend to think about places like Port Arthur. You know, definite, like, big, like, settlements full of convicts yeah. and, like, prisons and stuff. Yeah. But early convict life wasn't actually that way. No. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't until like the eighteen like twenties did no. like convict convicts actually not being able to um, to move and like they'd, they'd been able to find their own accommodation. Mm, mm. Like, provided they just probably didn't just leave. A lot of the times, they ended up living with other settlers and stuff, like as like working for them. It sounds really weird, but like it wasn't entirely bad because like. There was a lot of, like, a grey area between settler and convict. Because there were a lot more convicts than settlers. Yeah. Um, and while you did have the military here in Australia, like, to keep an eye on, and guards and stuff, a lot of the times convicts were like, you work these days, and then another day you can do whatever you want. Yeah. Or you do this amount of work, and anything else in your own time, you do whatever. Yeah. Like, there's some... I don't remember the homestead, but there was a homestead in New South Wales where there was a bunch of convicts living as well as, like, servants. Yeah. Servants had bigger quarters because they were paid, like, their butler because mm. they were, like, a hoity-toity yes. type. They hadn't done anything wrong to get their type. Um, but they were still... Like, what... Um, actually, uh, that's another thing I should talk about later. Um, but some of the convicts had nicer stuff. Yeah. And then, well, they discovered nicer stuff in their, like, after doing an archaeological dig... And so they looked into it further, and they realised that the person living in those quarters yeah. was a blacksmith. Yeah. So. So that's yeah. So a very pliable trade. Yeah, in those especially days. in a new new area where a lot of people were wanting metals, metals, yeah. and all kinds of stuff. So they they're like, all right, let's um, let's. So they, so like in their own time, they were able to like you know play their trade with other people. They were able to do all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Like, and so yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, there were at least um, apparently according to the, the uh, so just right now there were 120 uh, roughly 120 free settlers compared to uh, over 700 
convicts. So the ratio was just totally out. The convicts knew that they had the power of the of the, of the mass, and and but regardless of regardless of any of sort of wealth and status, anyway. I mean, everyone had to build their own houses. Everyone had to. In those very early days, in 1788, and and the sort of years following that, there was absolutely nothing. There was no one. There was no one there to to. There was nothing in the English settlement that they could they could live in, and so they had to build. Everyone. It was every essentially every man for himself, regardless of the reason that they'd been sent there. Yeah, it was. Um, it was one of those weird ones where it was like just sort of. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't exactly pleasant life. In, no, it was. Um, in fact, in in under under government Macquarie's reign, it became much worse for. Uh, 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 I'll just look up exactly when it is. It's the it became it actually became a lot worse for convicts because he was starting to crack down. Yeah, exactly. And um, he was and he was actually embarking on public works projects that meant that they had to that needed hard labour. Yeah. Before that, they basically just said they all the f- convicts had to do was farm and trade and and to survive. But when Governor Quarry came in with actual ambitions, he put them to work and and made them do f- backbreaking, laborious tasks. Yeah. Which has built a lot of what the Sydney CBD, as we know it today, came from Governor Quarries. Yeah, a lot. A lot of it came from it. A lot of it also got knocked down. That's true. Yeah. Um, like their first governor's house is knocked down. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, it's one of those ones where like there's so much of this. There's so much sort of mm. like variation within convict settlements mm. as well. Um, we'll talk more about actual settlements later, but, like, even, like, just the idea that, like, you know, some of them owned bus- had businesses. Yeah. Like, on the side, some of them did this. Depending on what they were skilled at, Yeah, they could do a wild, wide range of things. Yeah. And, it's- yeah, it was just, it's just one of those, I don't think, I think it's one of those ones where, like, when people think convicts, I think Port Arthur sticks in the, mi- in the mind, um, mm. you know... But like this idea of like chains and working hard, yeah. But really, they weren't that. Um, really, they really it was it was it was just a, a sort of it was no more of a battle for survival and a and a grueling test of endurance for them as much as for anyone else. Um, the other thing as well that that was an advantage to the convicts is often they would settle their own land and uh, using the word settle, uh, open quotes there, but they would, they, would, they would claim the land. And then when they became free settlers, they had a huge property. Granted, they generally sort of, I mean, they, it was, that, that didn't mean that they were necessarily automatically successful farms and successful businesses, but it did mean that they were free, free, men, that, free men and women that owned land, which in those early days of the colony was extremely powerful. So they could essentially, when they got their free, free ticket to leave, their, their, their passage of freedom... A lot of them chose to stay purely for the reason that they'd built better lives themselves and they had successful farms, businesses and properties already in existence that they could now capitalise on. Yeah, it's so, just, it was just uh, one of those ones where, like, if you earned enough money, you could buy your ticket of leave, mm, you know. It was I'll, just one of those things where, like, it could happen. Yeah. Very difficult, but, like, you know, as I said, if you were a blacksmith... Yeah. And it's uh, even life in the sort of uh, when they eventually did set up things like barracks and towns and settlements where they could keep a bit of an eye on the convicts. At first, it's, they were essentially just running through the bush, but when they when Sydney was settled and they did kind of have to have a village to gravitate around, um, they they still ran the town. They still they were still treated like probably fairly poor workers, but workers nonetheless. They, yeah. were, they were still allowed to have breakfast. They still had schedules and jobs. They were they were workers first and convicts second in many ways. Yeah, I, I have a little fun fact about the Hyde Park's barracks. Nice. 
um, the three-story building was designed by a convict architect, Francis yeah. Greenway, and McCoy was so impressed that he granted Greenway a full pardon. <laughs> so, incredible. That's, that, that, that was the best way to get to get a particular leave in those days, was to be good at architecture. Good at, no, like, good at something. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. The, um... Okay, he... I, I looked up what Greenway was... Um... I couldn't remember what Greenway was arrested for, and it turns out it was forgery. Okay. <laughs> Lovely. So he's an artist. It doesn't surprise me that he was good at architecture, because he obviously had a bit of a flair for aesthetics and creativity. Yeah, um, um, St. James's Church in Sydney is also designed by him. Really? He, yeah, there's actually... Um, the big church opposite Hyde he, Park. The big cathedral opposite Hyde Park. Is that where it is? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, That's enormous. Yeah, he's got a. F- he's actually got a few. Few. Um, he designed quite a few buildings, mm. like the old Macquarie Lighthouse. Yeah, it does not to say that there wasn't. Um, it, it, at first, this, the, there was still. There was still. They did still try, and um, they did still try and institute an, a, a proper economy. Um, uh, it, I think the general consensus is that Governor Phillips, the first governor of Port Jackson. Um, was was fairly I mean, uh, did a fairly good job of what he little he had to he had to work with he he did he did sort of struggle to to set up roots and it was really in the subsequent governors really until Governor Macquarie came in in eighteen ten that things went off the rails but in those early days Governor Philip did do an okay job of setting it up there were but but having said that they did still they, it was still expensive and 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 there were economic financial strains to owning land. They had to pay a shilling per 50 acres, um, every, uh, which is to be paid for five years, regardless of whether you were free or, or a, a free settler or a recently freed convict. You still had to pay the the one shilling per 50 acres. And because they'd taken sometimes 200, 500,000 acres oh, at a time, that was it was oh, ridiculously Jesus. expensive, um, which just created more havoc. And, of course, very few people were able to pay it. Yeah, especially considering, like, if you don't know how the land works, then you're not going to get much out of it. <laughs> Because um, a lot of the a lot of the um, people free settlers who arrived in like early Australia mm. weren't always well off. No, but they because everything was cheaper here, they tried to recreate England, like become the landed gentry. Yeah, yeah. gentry. Besides, but like, there's no, no, there's no landed gentry. Like, it didn't work because like you can't have these. Lush rolling grasses. Yeah, yeah. it's when, hard to play croquet when you've barely got a. You, you've got a. You, yeah, you're you're dealing with dust. Yes, um, yeah. yeah, but yeah, doesn't the lawn bowls don't work so well? The um, the other it's that for that reason alone that the biggest industry that really took off in those early days um in uh is from the 1791 it sort of officially began was whaling and and sealing yeah. because that was just an easy way of getting lots of food lots well, of export oil, oil as well and the oil was a big one yeah yeah and blubber that was that they could sell to make money and it didn't really require that much I mean, it didn't require any land it didn't require any preparation you could just get a boat and start start whaling so that was that was one of the reasons why australia's biggest certainly the, a lot of the money that was brought in a lot of the the people that were brought into those early days of the australian colony were actually through whaling mm um, yeah, and then by by the population of convicts was enormous. It should be said that there was uh, there was. A, I'm just trying to find it. Sorry, the uh, the, tri- the population of the the, the the convict population in Australia until way until um until 
transportation was banned in 1841. It was a huge part of the population. There was sometimes 26,000. The first year there were 717 in 1788. And then by 1805 there were 2,077. But then after that, by 1828 there were 17,000. And then by 1841 there were 26,000, almost 27,000. So it's... In those particularly after after uh, after 1805, that 1805 to 1810 period saw a huge leap. I believe 1810 had 7,000 convicts alone come out. So it's it's just it's that that shows how quickly word spread of the um, of the potential to be had and 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 how and and when and. Yes. Do you think is it one matter of debate though? Is do you think it was? Do you think the 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 population the 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 fact that Australia's population of convicts grew so rapidly? Do you think it was down to the fact that Australia had been seen as being successful, or was it because that England's criminal criminal and and justice problems got worse? Um, England's criminal and justice problems got worse. That's what. Um. Also, the whole British idea that Australia was empty. Yes. Yeah. Um, it was it was just a place where they could send them, not see them, and then you'd gone. I don't have to worry about you now. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. Yeah, I think that's what it means. Like it's, it's it's less. I don't I don't know whether or not they thought Australia was successful. I think they might have been like, oh, this governor Macquarie, did, you know, doing some good things. Yeah. Um, but we don't have but, to deal with them anyway. No. And it, there was certainly no sense that because the communication took so long, there was certainly no sense that the um, that there was anything really particularly wrong with sending them out. Yeah. And the more the industrial revolution sped up, and the worse the the social economic yeah. problems continued, the more they persisted to send convicts to Australia. Yeah, it was it was just bad. Definitely. So yeah, so we talked about like day to day life and of convicts. Now we're going to talk about more like settlements and stuff. Yeah. So as I was saying earlier, a lot of people think it wasn't pleasant, but it wasn't. No, it wasn't a, pleasant. It wasn't a prison in this. It wasn't prison. They weren't prisoners. They were convicts, and there is a bit of a difference there. They, they weren't actually kept in prisons. They were they were controlled and they were restricted and their their movement was limited. And there were certainly people that tried to escape the settlement, but. They, for the for survival sake alone, they weren't they weren't actually kept in, uh, they weren't actually kept in in cells or blocks or under constant restriction. They were just workers. All that changed, however, in 1836 when Port Arthur. Port Arthur was built. Was yeah. it 1836? I thought yeah. it was earlier than that. It was built earlier than that as a granary and flour mill, just in a town in Tassie. But it was uh, that was that that was the year that they actually moved convicts in. Oh yeah. Because they, they had a convict settlement in Tasmania before then. Yeah. But yeah, the Macquarie Harbour. There was Sarah Island and Grummet Island and Macquarie's Harbour. It's the entrance to Macquarie Harbour was known as Hell's Gates. It's one of those ones where it's just, you know, because it was claimed because it, it was their entrance to hell. Yeah, I've read For the yeah. Term of His Natural Life, which is a book about convicts. And that's like, oh, this was really bad. You know, it was a, yeah. it was a super bad place, but it was only there for like 15 years. Yeah. Um, I think I think it's also the fact that Hell's Gate sounds really T- menacing. Yeah, but it was only there for fifteen years, and there's no resident. There's no um. There's not a lot there because no. There, there's still there's still remain. Well, there's not a lot of these settlements. There's sort of not Port Arthur's probably the best reserved side. I don't think there's much on Sierra Island either. But oh, uh, there's enough to give a feeling. But like uh, mm. like in the 1890s, 
like to build mining communities, they robbed it. Yeah, definitely. As yeah. they do, like As people are just like, oh, there's all this little stone yeah. along here. These buildings are dilapidated. Yeah, exactly. It's just recycling. It's ours now. Yeah, there's an interesting story about uh, the devil's devil's. Uh, um, oh, sorry, what was it? Sorry, the devil's gate. Uh, hell's gate. The hell's gate. Uh, was there a story? There's a story of a um, of a of a convict. I need to look up his name. Actually, go on. Sorry, I'll look up look it up. Yeah. And then we can. Um, but yeah, Port Arthur is the one that you, is that like is the one that's like I think most intact. Yeah. And that's why like you know it's kept intact. It, it's also an active archaeological site. Really? Um, yeah. A and U often does digs out there. Yeah. Um, for some of their classes, because as for their archaeology students. Yeah. Um, it's it's also you know because it it is an active site. There's yeah. so much to Port Arthur. It's a huge place. Complex. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not just like one building, like like a jail. Yeah. Um. It's actually a huge like, and there's parts. There's multiple parts to it. Like there's there's Tasmania's coal mines. Yeah. Um. Yeah. The entire Tasmanian economy is built on. On well, the entire, the entire, really, the entire um, eastern New South Welsh and Tasmanian economy was was started up by convicts and convict labour. Less so in Tasmania than New South Wales, but still to that same degree, they yeah. needed people to build things. And like later convicts, like were sent to Port Arthur. Also, wasn't like the first protocol for convicts. No, no, no. it was actually like a punishment. Like yeah. if you committed a crime while in the colony, yeah. you would go. To, you would go to Port Arthur. Yeah, yeah. And it's not like the first thing you do is, oh well, I'm in Port Arthur now. Yeah, yeah. And um, that's, that there, there was actually that was why it was sort of a, it was it was like the extra step. It was almost like the the solitary confinement. It was that sense that they could the, the sending them to Australia was wasn't just sending convicts to Australia wasn't just a way of getting rid of criminals in England. It was also a way of trying to trying to rehabilitate them through yeah. um, hard work and labour and 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 survival. And for a lot of people, it worked. For a lot of them, it, they, it really did make a difference. And there's some that would say that that policy would be a similar policy would be useful if you yeah. introduced into modern society but there were obviously those that were just criminals or were disturbed yeah. enough to commit crimes again and um, they were sent to Port Arthur yeah and so pr- prisons like that yeah Port Arthur is um one of the interesting things about Port Arthur is the fact that part of the reason why it was so good as like a location was of, yeah um Eagle Hawk Neck yeah which is like so what it is is it's like because it's on a peninsula there's like but the peninsula itself tightens. Yeah. So it's not quite an island. There's still like, but it's a really small yeah. gap of land, and you can't really swim. Yeah. Um. So yeah. There's also rumours that they put shark that there were sharks in the water around Port Arthur, and they fed them with with meat. Uh, and there, there, I, I, I'd almost believe that. There's, there's, is actual s- historical evidence to suggest that that was one of the ways that they, they either scared them or genuinely did try and keep them out of the water. Plus, they had they had stations and garrisons all the way along the peninsula on the way back to Hobart to stop them from yeah. if they if they did escape. Um, just when you mentioned Hell's Gates before, there's one extraordinary story of uh, there's a story of uh, there's a story of Alexander Pierce. Do you know a story about that? Um, no. Him and seven other men escaped uh, Sarah Island. Oh yeah. And fled into the bush in Van Diemen's Land and and ended up resorting to cannibalism. Oof. Yeah. That's um, bad. It is, yeah. There were four. There were there were six Englishmen and four Germans. Two Germans. So six Englishmen, two German Germans. I don't know how they ended up in an English prison. 
But they realised about apparently they realised about two weeks into their journey that they had to they had to they were they, were, they didn't know any of the local food they hadn't been able to hunt anything and so they resorted to, they realised that one of them had to be eaten and they even actually allegedly according to according to um to to the investigations and rumours and and testimonials from the time it's alleged that um that Alexander Pierce Wrote, was sort of the leader of the group and actually helped them write up, uh, 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 almost helped them uh, sort of democratically decide who was going to be eaten and oh, die. Really? Yes. Oh. While they were on the run, they made it. They made a conscious decision. They didn't just murder someone. They made a conscious decision of who was the best to be killed, who would most survive, what what parts of the person to eat. And the the tale, the true story of Alexander Pierce, uh, it does sound like something that's just an urban legend, but it was true. And the true story of it is far more grotesque. There's a great Tele movie called uh, Van Diemen's Land, which is all about them. Um, it's on Netflix, so that's oh really. We're checking out, yeah, Alexander Pierce, yeah, the story of Alexander Pierce and oh. the cannibals that escaped. And I believe he was the only one that survived enough to get. I think he was then hung in 1824 Oof. for his crimes of cannibalism, and he was the only one of that group to not be eaten or die. So there's that was so well, life at is least pretty in tough. The bush, but like later, <laughs> yeah, it's okay, time yeah. gets to us all. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, pretty good innings. Um, but yeah, so like, but the thing about Port Arthur is the fact that because there was it's a massive settlement. There was also like non-convict related buildings, like the yeah. warden and like all the guards had to be given. Mm. Um, but they'd also they also built the model prison. Yeah, which was an idea, which was a. W- a weird idea. There's examples yeah. around that in other jails and, like, the old one yeah. here in Melbourne. Oh, uh, no. Almost going to work with it. Um, here in Melbourne. In the uh, city, yeah, the capital city of Victoria. We we talk that, about that in our one of our Melbourne Musings episodes. Definitely. On we, um, our podcast. Which you can find on Omni and iTunes. iTunes, yeah, we're on iTunes now. Nice. Or follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash historically speaking. Definitely. Now, aside from that little plug. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so the... The whole like so it was it wasn't just like for convicts, and so like you've got a lot of but like I think I've mentioned this earlier, but I'll mention it again. Mm. Is that the convict buildings are on the lowest level? Mm. All the like the guard buildings and stuff are on the higher levels. Like even the church that they go to, like you have to walk up to get yeah. to. Um, and part of that was because that way you could see them. Yeah, and um, that was and that was that they had actually put thought into into how to manage criminals in a way that you could supervise them and punish them yeah, at the it, same time. It was a common it was it, well it was actually a common It wasn't actually that big put up. well it was big but it was the actual main penitentiary building no uh, wasn't as big as you would think it was only 480 prisoners it could only house 480 prisoners at a time in 136 cells that's not necessarily to say that they only ever had 480 but that was all it was built for Yeah um, um but that sh- but that they were the they they that was that I guess underlines as well the fact that it wasn't wasn't just a place to send any old criminal they were the they were the hardest criminals allegedly in the land uh, there was also a prison for for boys um, yeah there, there was also the Isle of the Dead Isle of the Dead which was the cemetery yeah which is actually an island off the actual settlement mm, and that was terrifying for, until I think the 1990s when they sort of had a big another uh, 1990s until the sort of until the until the, it was actually opened as a as a tourist site, for years the Island of the Dead was just, just empty, essentially a mass grave with bones and bodies still sticking out until yeah, the mid twentieth century. That was a pretty, pretty terrifying, horrifying. Yeah, site. it's pretty wild. Um, 
there was also the female factory. The, 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 there were no there were no women held at Port Arthur though. That's no. one interesting fact. They were held at the female factory in Ross, a few about a hundred kilometres to the north. In I've the not of been Tasmania. to um, Ross. It's very nice. Yeah, it's really it's a well preserved um, convict town. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a well, it's, well, it's a very well preserved convict town, and there's a really good museum at the old female factory in Ross, um, which is interesting in itself because because in many cases the the life for the well, the, life, the 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 style of punishment, the style of yeah, incarceration was a lot different, was a lot different um, for me for women as opposed yeah, to men. Yeah, it's a lot less punishment, like physical stuff, mm. like whipping whippings, and like weren't exactly like uncommon. Mm. Like they didn't happen like a whole heap, but they weren't uncommon. No. Um, but yeah, so find, there was a story of a female factory riot. But it was a lot more. There was also there was also the one of the first Bad. riots in Australian prison history in on the thirty first of October eighteen twenty seven Halloween. Oh really? Uh, at the riot at the female factory in Ross, um, when basically all the women in the in the factory essentially tried to tried to overthrow the governors. Or at the very and just sort of shook things up, and we'll put up this article about it from the time on our Facebook page. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, so that was that. The female factory in Ross is is an interesting story. We could probably do an entire episode on that in itself. Yeah, there was a lot of other like we were talking a lot about Port Arthur, but there were like other settlements. Um, mm. There was Fremantle Prison was used as a convict settle prison yeah. for a while. Yeah, um, that was like one of the last ones to be used with. Because Perth took their la- last shipment of convicts in 1868, yeah, which is really late, like Crazy. wildly late. That's that's in Victor- <coughs> Queen Victoria's time. That by that stage they had trains, and the Industrial Revolution was probably coming to a close. If anything, yeah, it's it, like it? 20, 30 years yeah. before they were like thirty years before Federation. Yeah, it's remarkable to think that they're still doing that. Although to be fair, a lot of the um, a lot of the prisons sent to the Fremantle prison were people from Australia who'd been. Um, Who'd been sent there? It was a sort of it was an internal. Oh really? I, I believe so. Although there were there were still some. The eighteen sixty eight shipment was from England. Yeah, the but last yeah. ship. You're right though. The last ship though that was sent there was from England. It's insane. The last um, the last uh, prison ship we sent to uh, Tasmania or New South Wales is in eighteen forty one. Wow. So like twenty five. So, mm. twenty-seven years later, <laughs> so, just like oh, I forgot we've got that law we can where we can send people to, to Australia. Let's do that again. That was pretty good. The other the other settlement before we go to Assam, the other settlement I want to talk a bit about it was Morton Bay, and that was interesting because it was actually abandoned. Um, it was uh, it, it's sort of not far from the site of the original of, of what's now Brisbane. Um, is Morton Bay the place with the bugs? Yes, yes, it oh, is. I yeah. like those. It's the only place on earth where it's famous for bugs. Well, probably not the only place on Earth, but it's 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 the most famous place on Earth for bugs. Uh, yes. Yeah, so anyway, yes, it was. Uh, oh, sorry, eighteen twenty-four. Um, eighteen twenty-four. It became a convict settlement, and then it closed in eighteen thirty-five. Yeah, and it was because it was an unsuccessful. Um, it was it was largely unsuccessful. It acquired a reputation for violence and death from disease. I'm like, neither of those are good. No, no. I can't think why it was shut down. It was a bit like Port Arthur in the sense that only hardened criminals um, would would be sent to Morton Bay, and yes, it was one of the few settle- few European settlements in Australia to be to be to actually fail. And it's it went. I mean, well, people, one of the few, quite a few of them did. Probably a lot. Like, did. Not going to yeah. lie, 
There's Morton Bay, there's like, Sorrento, Adelaide. There's, the, like, when you say failed, it depends, like, because there's a lot of times when, like, people have just abandoned buildings. Yeah. Like, in South Australia, actually, there's a lot of that. Yeah. Because um, the aridity is creeping further south. Like, people who are like, yeah, let's live here. And mm. then it's like, we can't grow nothing. Mm. And, yeah, the south- and they just leave. Yeah, a lot of the mining towns as well. When the at the end of boom and bust, a lot of gold mining towns, even Victoria, abandoned. While Hulla essentially became a ghost yeah. town for years. But but in terms of convict settlements, that were failed. Yeah, Morton Bay was Morton Bay, and also Sorrento uh, were two of the sort of Sorrento was because they had no idea what Victoria was like. No, no, they they, they thought it was like just small Sydney, and it was totally different. No, it's like oh, we'll get water here. <laughs> they did, they did uh, leave William Buckley. Maybe yeah. we can talk about him in the next. Yeah, segment. we'll talk about him later because he he walked he walked away and then lived a life of <laughs> wonder. Uh, um, but I think we'll go for, to a song quickly. Sounds good. Uh, uh, you're listening to Historically Speaking on Sin Nation. What are we going to go to? Uh, this is Am I Ever Going to See Your Face Again? Um, probably what some of the people were talk- saying when William Buckley escaped. <laughs> yes, um, nice segue. You're listening to And I think there's also something that is associated with the song that was also said about those convicts sometimes. Um, yeah, uh, Am I Ever Going to See Your Face Again? By the Angels. You're listening to Historically Speaking on Sin Nation. Uh, yes, next week. Um, here on <laughs> Historically Speaking, you're listening to Alex and Andrew Historically Speaking on Sin Nation. Um, nice. And we're going to talk, be talking about some interesting characters. One of the people that I want to mention is uh, George Cribb. Uh, oh, yes. George Cribb was a bit of an odd bloke. Uh, lived in lived in New South Wales. The reason I say he was an odd bloke is because he had two wives. He arrived in Sydney in 1808. He arrived in Sydney in 1808. Been sentenced to 14 years for being in possession of forged banknotes. That and seems he, extreme. But, but he was a butcher by trade, and so, you know, initially he did all right. Wasn't he also sent for illegal butchery? Legal butchery and forged um, banknotes. No, it was, it was just the banknotes. Um, okay. But then there's more stuff we'll get to later. Yeah, that enough. that starts later. In 1811, at Saint Philip's Church, he married Fanny Barnett. Yeah, um, a convict who had arrived also in 1808. Um, however, this was not George's first marriage. His actual wife from England was coming over f- to join him, yeah. and so he gave his new wife. £150,000, so £300, which is 150000 in 20, 2007, yeah. and she returned to England. And then in 1812, he was arrested and accused of s- attempting to smuggle rum. Charges were unproven, but I don't know. Apparently, there was a smell of rum. <laughs> so, it's um, not the sort of thing you can hide easily, is But it? the rum, his cartons, horse were also confiscated by the Crown. In 1813, he had purchased a house and several allotments from their de facto owners. Yeah. So it covers what they call the Big Dig site in Sydney, which is where like they there was a massive archaeological explanate, excavation. Yeah. Fanny left the colony to return to England in 1817. He built a shop on the site, and then he had another one. And then in 1818, one of his wives died. The one from the yeah. one from England, not the one that he married in Australia, died. And so he married Sophia, let a widow with five kids. Yeah. He built a hotel in 1819. He was arrested for yeah. illegally selling meat. In 1823, he was accused of stealing cattle and bribing a witness. In 1827, he was again suspected of cattle theft and raided. Each time, he managed to be convicted, but after 1821, he had to lost a lot of money. Um, in 1823, his wife left him for his nephew. That's insane. In 1827, she died that, aged 43. That is that that the fact that he she left him for his nephew is sort of serendipity. That's kind of deserved. He was under his third family, yeah, and about seventh offence. 
Yeah. Also, yeah. Um, they find a lot of like pottery in the yeah. in the well. Yeah. And so they suspect that he like what might have happened is that one of his wives came over it yeah. and crushed it, like got really angry, just started chucking things yeah. around, throwing a massive tantra- temper tantrum. But yeah, so George Cribb was one of those dudes who was like, all right, I'm here now. Might as well make the best of it. Yeah. And kind of did. In 1818, um, his, both his wives are still alive. So... So they, so they. So like he had three wives. Insane. Um, got into castle rustling, bribing witnesses. There's a gap between when Fanny leaves and when like stuff. <laughs> He's just one of those dudes where like. Well, I suppose when you're that disconnected from it, Fanny was in was still in England, wasn't she? Yeah. Yeah, and when you had that, I mean, you start up a new life. There's nothing. No one's going to know. Uh, it's probably too hard to divorce anyway. Yeah. What it, what happened was that there was one Mrs. Cribb coming in. Oh, okay, so. Dr. Joseph Arnold yeah. saw, was with both of them. So one of them came in with him. One yeah. of the Mrs. Cribs came on the boat to Australia with him. And one of the other Mrs. Cribs went back to England with him. Yeah. So he's just like, oh, this is a bit weird. <laughs> I'm sort of curious to talk about the people who escaped, the sort of attempt to escape artists, because there were some, we mentioned before Alexander Pierce, but there were lots of people that escaped, many of them successful. There was a group of Irish settlers who I don't think are named. I think they were just sort of lost in the, their names are lost in the vault of history. But they left Sydney to the west in 1794, left Port Arthur to the west, and somehow reason thought that they were going north and were trying to walk to walk to China. Oh, and I've then heard about those guys. Su- they did not get it. No, anyway. they didn't. They ended up walking all the way around the bush for a while. Then they found they stumbled upon a town. They actually thought it was a city in China after walking for about three days and ran excitedly into the town only to realise it was Sydney and they were captured again straight away and their prison ships were extended by another 10 years. There was also a case, however, of a guy who kept escaping, who was essentially the Houdini of his day. He was, he was able to, he could escape from anywhere. He'd escape from Sarah Island, escape from Sydney but got brought back. I think he commandeered a ship out of Sydney and had been kidnapped and taken back and then he was sent to Port Arthur for his troubles. He escaped from Port Arthur and then was sent to Hell's Gate where he was put in a cell built specifically for him, which had oh, no. constant supervision, no windows, uh, no, he wasn't allowed to exercise, or he was only allowed to exercise once a week or something. The only kind of, the only time he ever got out of his cell, if not to exercise, was to cut stones in this huge walled yard with no exit or entrance beside his cell that he was supervised by four guards simultaneously. And he still managed to escape because they stupidly made his job stone cutting. So he had a pickaxe. Oh, no, no, he, no, no. <laughs> you can oh. guess what happened. He cut himself a hole in a wall near one of the rocks and then put his, uh, put his because all the guards were up on the wall, they couldn't see closely. They put his, um, put his coat on his pickaxe and left. And when he'd escaped from, Penit- from, um, from Port Arthur... David Collins, the governor of Tasmania, had said that he would allow this man to walk free if he was able to escape again, and he did. And he was, to Governor Collins' credit, he actually did let him escape, and he was given a ticket of leave because he'd escaped three times and they didn't know what else he to might do. Fall, like, yeah, I, exactly. just, just I don't think his crimes were that severe apart from escape. One other interesting story about people about escaping convicts before we get on to the big one, if you know the one I'm talking about, mm. is the convict who managed to get to Chile. Convicts that had what? Uh, in a raft. Um, there's twelve convicts um, had uh, managed to managed to uh, twelve convicts escaped Sarah Island. Um, 
pass themselves off as shipwrecked sailors, um, and were then uh, and then were then because they thought they'd been shipped, they they managed to get to a town, a very isolated town in the north of Tasmania. This was in 1836. Managed to get to an isolated town where they were confused as shipwrecked sailors. They were given a boat by the town, the kind, generous, very honest, very gullible local local townsfolk. They were given a very small boat, and they sailed. They they sailed to Chile. Um, and oh survived, God. made it there. I was reading about it. So they, they almost got on trial for piracy? <laughs> what? So they were put on trial for piracy, yeah. and they got off because of, of, of a technicality. Yeah. They argued that the um, as the ship that they'd stolen had not been officially launched, and yeah. it wasn't a ship. Uh, <laughs> so, so it was... So they, so they were actually... They, they, were almost, they were almost kidnapped. Yeah, also, they almost tried for a much bigger felony. Yeah, and they almost it was piracy is a hanging offence. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, there were. But the yeah the they went to they went to Norfolk Island. Yeah, fair enough. I don't um, think they made it to Chile, did they? No, they made it to Chile. They came back mm. two two years later. Um, <laughs> <Just> an adventure. <laughs> two years. The governor of where they landed and the successor was more suspicious of them <laughs> and alerted them, and they were like. Hang on. Yes. Um, but yeah, like two of them argued that um, the ship wasn't a ship. Um, and because of that, it wasn't piracy. And the fact that it had been taken in a harbour, so they got off for it. Nice. They're pretty. That's a pretty exciting story. There's also the story of the person who escaped um, the Nick in uh, Port Arthur by describing themselves as a kangaroo. And that worked fantastically. What is, what is it, it, it actually worked. It was, uh, that, was, that was Billy Hunt. Sorry, that was the name Billy Hunt. Um, survived, managed to get himself across the neck by disguising himself as a kangaroo. As a kangaroo, and he got it there. And then the troopers decided they'd do a bit of target practice, <laughs> oh, no. and he decided to give himself up. <laughs> Understandably, look at that! The kangaroo surrendering. Oh, oh. The, gee, they're smart animals, aren't they? Um, oh, man, and he was brought himself back. So that is the story. But however, we we can't talk about convicts escaping without talking about William Buckley. Buckley. William Buckley was part of the settlement that arrived in Victoria in, like, 1803. Yeah. Um, and one of the failed segments. We yeah, it was last. one of the failed se- settlements that we talked about. And so, but he just, he walked off. Yeah. Just walked off. Um, and they're like, all right, can't find him. Leave him alone. But yeah, he was about, like, he was a pretty tall dude. He was about 6'4 or so. He was obviously had a bit of a knack with survival because he managed to find, how to find shellfish. But... When, um, but then he, he was he was taken in by the Waterong tribe in near Beam Creek, yeah. in southern Victoria. So he, he got quite a way. He managed to get from what's now Port Phillip, which is near near um, near uh, modern day Sorrento, to Beam Creek. Yeah, and he uh, and he lived with the Waterong tribe for thirty two years. Yeah, thirty two years. So he lived with them. Lived with them for quite a while. Yeah. Um, one of the other, one of the actual interesting things about it, though, is the fact that. He escaped with other convicts. Yeah. So the other convicts were like, let's walk to Sydney. It can't be too far. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And never seen again. <laughs> Don't think they ever were. No. They um, might, they'd probably just be about arriving now. He was actually pretty well suspected within the community yeah. as well, though. He lived with the... He, I think the, the Wuthering took him on because they believed he was the reincarnation of their deceased tribal leader. Yeah. And he'd taken, he'd taken a spear to use as a walking stick, which had been stuck in this tribal leader's uh, grave. He'd just taken that as a walking stick, not knowing the connotations of it. And when they found this tall white man walking with their, their deceased 
tribe, the chief's spear. They yeah. instantly thought he was the reincarnation of that. And then they, but they very generously decided to keep him on even after they realised he wasn't who they thought he was. Yeah. And he lived, he learnt their customs. He, I believe he had a few, he had a wife and a few children with the Wadarung. And um, and it was uh, uh, it was so. I think he there's some. Uh, this is where it's a little bit disputed because he he kind of he didn't exactly want to talk about. Uh, he, he didn't he didn't come forward until he was um, he didn't come forward until the eight in until 1835. That occasionally ships would pull in at Port Jackson just to get supplies and hunt, and before they had to cross Bass Strait. And he he but he never confronted any of them until 1835. Yeah, when another white dude rocked up. Yeah, and that was when. Um, he overheard a, a local group of Aboriginal people planning to rob a ship and murder the white intruders that had stationed there, and he surrendered to the people yeah. who were there. Um, but he was so he'd been for thirty two years. He'd become so ingrained in Indigenous society that yeah. he he, li- he had largely forgotten how to speak English, um, and a lot of the customs of English society. And he was taken on as a translator and interpreter. So he really did. He did actually do okay out of the out of out of escaping. He was mm. he was pardoned instantly. And given a, a fairly comfortable job as as a as a um, as a interpreter, but I don't think it would have been that nice a life because yeah, he would he, have been stuck he, between two worlds. And, and then he started. He actually went back to Van Diemen's Land and started yeah. all kinds of like. Apparently, he was the gatekeeper at the female factory for a while. He he, he's, he was described at the time of being sort of a bit dose, dopey and a bit a bit low intelligence, a bit dream. But he was um but he was uh, also sort of um but but he was he was also obviously very good at communication, diplomacy, and assimilation. Hence the fact he managed to. To survive for thirty years in a strange land, and mm. and he's he really is, yeah he, he lived yeah, William Buckley lived a very interesting life, and the other so one other interesting thing about William Buckley is he when he first left he stole a kettle with the two other convicts that he'd gone off with yeah and just they just dumped it it was too heavy to take, and then when Faulkner arrived he managed to find the location of the kettle that he dropped thirty two years earlier, and that kettle I believe is now in a museum in Frankston I think. Near where it was dropped. So that is the crazy story of William Buckley. There's so much about it. He's like probably the second most famous early colonial Victorian, apart from Ned Kelly, yeah. probably. So yeah, that's all we got time for. Actually, we've we've spent so much time talking. We should probably wrap it up. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, you've been listening to historically speaking on Sin Nation with Alex and Andrew. Definitely. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com/slash historically speaking, as well as historically speaking on Omni and iTunes. All these topics we cover are so huge and so broad that we can't talk about everything. So if you've got any other interesting stories, let us know on that, that Facebook page or comment on one of our posts. Um, please tell us if, 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 if there's any historical inaccuracies you think. We'd, lo- we'd, we'd very much like to hear that and correct that. Um, and please listen next week. In fact, maybe even message us in if you'd like, uh, if there's a specific topic you'd like yeah. us to talk about sometime down the track. We're more than keen. We'll be back same time next Friday on Sin Nation. Until then, have a very historical week. <laughs>